You see, the, the thing that we're going to get into this morning is that we got a worldview and a Christian view. And sadly, many Christians have adopted more of a secular or a worldview of Christianity than they should. Therefore, we get our way ahead of his way. Am I making any sense this morning? And that's what has to happen. If we're going to draw close to God, grow closer to God, become more that God wants, we have to realize it's about him and not us. It's about his way, not not our way. It's about his thoughts, not our thoughts. It's about his plan, not our plan. And so here the scripture continues on. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's V-L-C-C-A-Z dot org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. You know, I want to take a moment before I get into today's message. We're starting a brand new series that I've titled, How Do I Get Closer to God? And wow, is there a time ever that we needed it? But I do want to talk just a little bit about the current situation. I've, I have been scrutinizing uh, with, with, with uh, kid gloves and, and, uh, and just perspective of understanding the governing authorities and what they're saying, the, the lifting of, of, of different uh, stay-at-home orders and stuff like that and how it affects the church. And, and we sent out a... Um, a mass email to all of our council and um, just to work through this thing because we have to folks let, let me make a statement that has been I've watched circulate through the Christian world if you don't do certain things it's a lack of faith if you do do certain things it's a it's a it's a commitment a shown of faith there's another F word that works in that same category, and that's called foolishness. God tells us not to tempt him. God tells us to make sure we are doing right in the midst of the wrong. And we, by God's grace, are going to open here in the next few weeks. And we're going to be able to bring people back into the sanctuary but it has to be done with wisdom and not arrogance. You say, well, pastor, I don't understand. There's a, there's a huge difference because there's a lot in the Christian community that just want to say, well, bless God, I'm going to do it anyway. Well, there's a lot of other folks that don't look at it that way. And the Bible says that we're supposed to watch for both of them, both of those kind of people. 
And, and, and we've, got a, we've got a process. I, I saw a post on Facebook the other day. Matter of fact, I, I commented. I don't always comment on Facebook because I know it's a, it's a, a muck and mire minutia <laughs> that I would rather not meander into. Let me grab all the M's I can grab. But I do want to, uh, this one post was saying, did you think it was hard for the pastors to close their doors? Think how hard it is trying to open them back up. You got a lot of people that are hurting, a lot of people that are frustrated, a lot of people that are anxious, that are angry. And you got to try to work it all. You got to try to work it for all. All things to all people that by all means we might be able to save some. So I, I wholeheartedly ask you, pray for your preacher. I can grab a hold of Heather's confession. Have I screwed up during this time? Oh, I haven't fell into sin, but I've allowed my emotions and my irritations and my frustrations. You want to ask somebody? Just ask the worship team. Yeah, ask my wife. I, 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 have, I have messed up, and I've, I've asked all of them to forgive me. I've asked, and I, if I've not done something, I ask you to forgive me because I'm sure trying to do this thing right. How do I get closer to God? That's what I've been doing this whole time, man. I've been, I've been, I've been bombarding the throne room saying, God, help us. And God's been doing that. God's been helping. He's been opening eyes, and He's been tendering hearts because this has not been easy for anyone okay and i don't mean to you know put something up here i know it has not been easy for you for any of you in this room it's not been easy by god's grace this is the hardest thing we'll ever have to face but i want to encourage you real quick it's going to get harder the days preceding the lord's return the Bible says it's going to get more difficult. That's not a doomsday prophet. That's not a, a naysayer or, or a doom and gloom. It is a fact. This is God's word. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 24, these are all the beginning of sorrows. But you know what I can do in the midst of it? I can draw closer to God. I can draw closer to God. You can draw closer to God. Because in my Bible, it says the hardest times is what sharpens the truest. It's building that house on the rock that disallows us from falling, from being crumbled when all of the world is pressing in. It is those times when, when you might feel like you are surrounded by the mouth of lions that you have to trust God to shut lion mouths it is it is those times when it seems like hell itself is crushing in on you 
that you'll have to remember the words of Jesus. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That's where we got to stand. That's where we have to be. And that is what enables us to grow and get closer to God. Now, I'm going to jump into it. If you are on Facebook, there's an attachment on there, and it will be on YouTube later, that you can download today's message. Okay, you can download the notes, and I would encourage you, if you haven't done it yet, just click on it. It'll open up in your computer, and you can put me on, on half the screen and the notes on the other half, or you can put me on an eighth of the screen and, screen and the notes on the... Okay, maybe not. Just you know, How about quarter of the notes and... Okay, never mind. The view that we hold of God, and I want you to hear this. I've touched on this in our mornings with Pastor Tim, uh, our devotion times, and I try to, to give some, some learning and some instruction, not just, not just a devotional scenario, because we've got to grow during these times. We've got to grow all the time. But our view that we hold of God is critical to the way we see life living and literally our ability to live life. In other words, where we put God in the scale of our relationship on this earth is going to be the determining factor of how you see yourself in him. The way you see him is going to determine how you see yourself in him. I, I found this little this little story, it was an eight-year-old's view of God. And I thought it was cute, and I thought it was apropos for this morning, so I wanted to give it to you. It's not in your notes, so you just have to listen to me. It's kind of a long little view. But it's an eight-year-old's view of God. And the eight-year-old starts out by saying these words, one of God's main jobs is making people. He makes these to put in place of the ones that died. So there'd be enough people on the earth to take care of things. But God doesn't make grown-ups. He only makes babies. I think he does this because they're smaller and easier to make. And that way, he doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them to walk and talk. And he, he leaves that up to the moms and dads. And I think it works out pretty good. Well, God's second most important job, can't you tell an eight-year-old is writing this? You know, God's most important job is making babies. Okay? God's second most important job, and listen to this because we're going to spend a lot of this morning talking about this. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. And there is an awful lot of this going on, especially from preachers and people like that. They, they pray at other times other than just bedtime. There's a lot of prayer that God has to listen to. And God, because of this, doesn't have time to listen to the radio or watch TV or anything like that. He hears everything. Not just the prayers. Could you imagine the terrible noise that must be going in God's ears unless he has some way of turning this off? Not only does God hear everything, but God sees everything. Everywhere, every time, which keeps God very busy. So you shouldn't go, <laughs> once again, I love this. 
So you shouldn't go wasting your time by going over your parents' head and asking God for something they said you couldn't have. I'm not sure that that doesn't apply to old kids as well. Then she goes on to say, atheists are people. This is a deep little girl. Atheists are people who don't believe in God. I don't think there are any in my town because they don't come to our church if they, if they are in our town. And then she goes into saying, Jesus is God's son. He used to do all the hard work like walking on water and doing miracles and trying to teach people about God who didn't want to learn about God. Well, they, got, they finally got tired of him preaching, and so they crucified him. But he was good and kind, just like his father. And he said, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Would you please forgive them? And God said, okay. Well, his dad, God, appreciated everything Jesus has done and all the hard work that he did on earth that he told him he didn't have to go on the road anymore, that he could stay in heaven, and so he did. And now he helps his dad out by listening to prayers and seeing which things are important to God that he can take care of and which things that Jesus can take care of himself so he doesn't have to bother God with them. He's kind of like a secretary, only a lot more important, of course. Once again, eight-year-old. You can pray anytime. And he will be sure to hear you. Because him and Jesus got it all worked out. They're on duty at different times, so they are always listening. And then she concludes by saying, you should always go to church and Sunday school because this makes God happy. And the last person you don't want to be happy is God. Don't skip Sunday school to do something that you might think is more fun, like going to the beach. This is just wrong. And besides, the sun doesn't come out at the beach until noon anyway. So wait until after church to go. And if you don't believe in God, besides being an atheist, you will be very lonely because your parents can't go everywhere with you, like, like to camp, but God can. And it's good to know that He's around when you're scared of the dark. And when you can't swim very good. And when the big kids throw you in the deep end of the water. But you shouldn't just think of God in a way that pleases you. I figure God put me here. And he can take me back at any time he pleases. Kind of like a recall you get on your card. And that's why I believe in God. That sounds like a kid that really wanted to get close to God. Now, I'm going to take you in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And I'm going to try to work on that question, how do I get closer to God? And I thought in putting this together, the best thing to do is look at it from the perspective of the days that we live. We live in a time that the Bible calls the end times the time preceding the Lord's return. And in the book of Revelation, there is a segment, Revelation 1, 2, and 3, 
to talk about the seven churches of Asia. Now, they were seven literal churches, but they were also symbolic, figurative, and metaphorical in the fact that they did not just happen to represent the day and the hour of the first hundred years or two hundred years of Christianity when Jesus was born after the, or after the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection and his ascension, but they actually represent the picture of churches throughout time. Seven church ages, many proclaim they are. And as I'm looking at this, how do I grow closer to God, especially in this time? I had to go immediately to the church of Laodicea, the seventh church, or the last church that we see listed in the book of Revelation before the rapture of the church and before that great and dreadful day, the day of Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation. So if we can go into that, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it's in your notes. And it'll be on the screen. If, you're, if you don't have the notes, some of the things will be on the screen. But look at this, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now let me stop there just for a moment. People sometimes think that, that if things aren't going well or if things aren't going the way they want it and they're really living for God and they're really trying to do what God wants, it could very well be that God is not denying but God is delaying because he wants you to grow. He wants to mature you in an area. In your notes, if you have them in front of you, underline those words, as many as I love, I rebuke, and I chasten. How many here have had children? And you've had to discipline those children. Now, I, I know that, that spanking is not PC anymore. It's not politically correct in the hour we live. Well, it's still politically correct in the Bible. And so I, I'm going to yield to what the Word of God. Matter of fact, the Scripture says the rod of correction drives the evil spirit away from that child. In 1 Samuel, it says to obey is better than the sacrifice. If you've ever had a paddle up your hindsight, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If I would have just obeyed, I wouldn't have had to sacrifice. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Look what it says here. Therefore, because you understand that I love you and that I want to grow you, be zealous and repent. Repent. Repent of what? Trying to get God to work things your way instead of working them God's way. My Bible says in Romans 8, God works all things. Say that with me. All things together for the good of those who love him. Listen, he loves us. We love him. That's a good equation. To those that love God and are called according to your purpose, your plan, your desires, your... No, no, no. According to His purpose. You see, the, the thing that we're going to get into this morning is we got two, worldview, two views here in this, this, uh, this life that we live. A worldview and a Christian view. And sadly, many Christians have adopted more of a secular or a worldview of Christianity than they should. Therefore, we get our way ahead of 
his way. Am I making any sense this morning? And that's what has to happen. If we're going to draw close to God, grow closer to God, become more that God wants, we have to realize it's about Him and not us. It's about His way, not our way. It's about His thoughts, not our thoughts. It's about His plan, not our plan. And so here the scripture continues on. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, this is, this is telltelling, or, or telltelling. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, you notice that God's not going to push it open? God's not going to push himself on us. God's not going to make us grow. He's not going to make us get closer to him. He said, I'm just going to stand there and knock. If you want me in, if you hear my voice, you open the door, and then he said, I'll gladly come in. Matter of fact, I'll sit down at the table, and I'll dine with you and you with me. And then he says these words, and underline them in your notes, if you will, to him who overcomes. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? To him who overcomes. The world? Yeah, but much more. Self. He who overcomes his desires, his plans, his wants, his ambitions, his dreams. And you know what? Every one of those are fine as long as they are part of his plan. See, ladies and gentlemen, it is still his story. And we've got to become a part of it. That's the one that overcomes. You know what he says? If you will just put yourself aside and put me first, I will move over and let you sit on my throne with me. Just like my father, let me sit on his throne with him. Now, there's two interesting things that I want to go to real quick in this passage that most people don't see. And I say most people, if you've read the Bible any length of time, uh, it jumps out, uh, you know, it jumps out just like a frog out of a lily patch. When you come up and stir it, The first thing that we see here is this passage was not written as a motivation for salvation. We use it all the time as a motivation for salvation. We use it, I've used it a thousand times as, as an altar call. But that's not what it is. If you look at the context of the message He's talking to people who should already know. He's talking to people that should have already been saved, but chose to be lukewarm, neither hot or cold. So you see, this very first thing is not a, mo a, motive, a motivation for salvation, but rather a challenge to change. Another word for change is repentance. And the only way that you repent is you grow. You grow beyond self to Christ. 
The second thing that I see in this passage is the scripture context is referring to people, as I've already said, should know God's voice. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it less demanding when someone I don't know calls me than when I get a call from somebody I do know. Somebody I do know call, I'm immediately, okay, uh, what's on your heart? What's happening? What are you talking about? What are your type of thing? But if it's somebody that I don't know, who are you? Why are you calling me? You ever get those, those telemarketers? Who are you? Why are you calling me? My wife will answer the phone sometimes and when it's one of those telephone numbers and she'll say, Jules Pizza. Do you like pepperoni or mushroom? What would you like? And she'll just carry on this little conversation with them until they finally get frustrated and hang up. It's not so, so, so aboding uh, when you've got somebody call you, you don't know who they are. But when you've got somebody calling you that you know who he is, somebody's standing at the door and knocking. And the only reason you're not wanting to open because you know it means I got to change. I got to grow. I got to leave what was to obtain what can be. Am I making any sense this morning? Number one in your notes, our worldview of God greatly affects our Christian view of God. The seven churches of Revelation, as I was talking about, they, they show how the world view has messed up the Christian view. But then through the course of all seven of the churches, and I encourage you to read these, it's Revelation 1, 2, and 3, all of the seven churches, every one gives you the road back, shows you how to return, shows how to repent. And in this hour we live, because we have this, this, uh, this imploding idea that we as Christians can't do certain things, we, uh, we as Christians you know, are not allowed to do... Folks, nothing has changed in our ability to be a Christian. All this changes our ability to go into a building. Thank God that he took the church into thousands of houses. He just essentially has enlarged the church. And even victorious life right now. We are still a body. We still have a facility, a building. We're just meeting in different areas right now. But ultimately, when the doors open, we'll all come back together. But maybe we can continue to meet these other ways as well. God is building things, but God wants to do very first. He wants to build, or rather, if I could say, rebuild a Christian view of God, because this is imperative to the building of you and my Christian life. And we've got to get a hold of this. Our view of God is probably the most crucial aspect of our Christian walk, just like that little eight-year-old. In her little eight-year-old mind, this is how God operated. But did you hear throughout the story how it was really 
apropos to her life and her mindset as a eight-year-old child putting God first, trying to understand the relationship that she should have with him? See, the problem is, is that you and I base too much of our belief on what we see, not on what God's Word says we are to believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. The reality is our Christian view has got to overcome the secular worldview if we're going to have a victorious view of living the Christian life. God must become sinnermost if we are able to obtain and enjoy the uttermost of his plan for our life. Are you with me this morning? I've set down just a few simple ways that our worldview has caused us to see God and godliness in a wrong light over the years. And I want to go quickly through this. They're going to be on the screen, so you can follow along if you don't have the notes. But once again, right there on Facebook, there's a link that you can download the notes. Later on today, uh, you can do it again on YouTube. That way you can actually have the notes and you can go study them yourself. The first thing that we see is that we see God out of, listen, the rebellion to God that we find in a post-Christian society. Now, you notice I didn't say a secular society or a world society. I said a post-Christian society. Because what's happening is even the Christian today is being taught, God loves me just like I am. And it's okay to live like I am. And I don't have to do anything about the way I am because God just loves me. Though that is a very true statement, he died that you would not stay the way you are. When he died, he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and the power of sin was broken to where now we can stand against. God loves us just like we are, but loves us too much to leave us that way. Because if we go our way, then we will never accomplish his way. You see, when a society willingly decides to rebel against God, its people will not see God no matter how visible his attributes might be. And this is the struggle that our young people deal with today. This is the struggle that our uh, millennials and X generation and, and Z and Y generations and all the other letters that are attached to that. They see God this way. And sadly, even young Christians and older Christians are now seeing God this way. Let me take you to God's Word. Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 22. Look at this. Although they knew God. Remember this passage? I remember I'm on the camera. Remember this passage? We were just talking about it. Who's he writing to at Church of Revelation? People that know God. It's not a matter of calling people to salvation. These people should already know salvation. But because they have been detoured by the secular worldview, 
that God's okay with their Christianity. That God had to say, it's time to repent. Okay? To change, which only comes because you grow. It says, look at this. Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. And then it tells us why. See, it tells us the problem. Okay? They know God, but they don't glorify Him, nor do they give thanks to Him. And then he tells us why. Because their thinking has become futile and their foolish hearts darkened. They have accepted a different thing. The Bible tells us over in the book of Matthew that do you not know that the eye is the light of the body? And if there is no light coming into the body, which is reference to Christ in your life, how dark that darkness is, this is what's happening. When you start viewing other things, your perspectives become adjusted in other ways. Pretty soon, our thinking will become futile and our foolish hearts will be darkened. And then what will happen? We'll claim a better way. We'll claim a better way. Remember when the seeker-friendly church came out? Remember when these non-offensive churches came out? You say, well, pastor, what do you mean by non-offensive? They only pick and choose certain things in God's word to preach. Therefore, we're not offending people. Well, the tough thing is you're not growing people either. Hensley, I can hear you shout and preach it. I hear it right now. I know I can hear him. I know you're on a telephone, but I can hear you coming right through the PA system. Look at this. Although they claimed to be wise. You know the scripture's saying? They found a different way. They found a different way. But what's the scripture say? They became fools. The second thing that I see this morning in this this understanding of the church and the Christians being secularized, which disallows the ability of us to grow. When we look any place other than God's Word and our relationship with God, we neutralize our ability to grow. The second thing that I see is we see God in a way that makes Him fit into our perspective. Almost like a God in a box. Maybe you don't understand that. How about a genie God? He just shows up and takes care of things for me when I get too deep into what I have done. You see, what we want is we want God to fit into our plan not us to fit into his plan. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the scripture says that God foreordained the path that we should walk in. But how many times and how many Christians do you know that when they get into a tight, they quickly and want God, they quickly call out to God because they believe that God's going to readily fix all things speedily. He, you know, God in today's society has almost become our ever-ready bunny, ever bunny battery God. 
and he just keeps on going. That when I mess up, he comes in like, like Superman. I'm on the way. I was thinking of Mighty Mouse, actually. Uh, I don't remember what he used to say. But kind of, you know, God just shows up and fixes up what I messed up. But remember what Jesus said in, in, uh, in, uh, uh, in our uh, uh, beginning passage? Who I love, I chasten, I rebuke. Who I love, sometimes God's not going to show up and fix up. He's going to let you grow up and learn. Somebody say amen. amen. This is a problem that we have, especially in moments like these. Number one, we don't like it. We don't want it. We ain't happy about it. And we are vocal in it. This is the way it's going to be. This is the way I'm going to do it. This, Praise the Lord. How about stopping and saying, God, why did you allow this? What can I learn in this? How can I grow because of this? Ladies and gentlemen, these shoes have been praying those prayers. God, what in the world? And you know what God takes me to every time? Why are you surprised? I told you what was going to happen before I come back. So instead of getting mad or instead of getting upset or instead of getting angry, what do I do? God, I need to grow. What am I supposed to know? And I can promise you God will help you in all of it. Can somebody say amen? amen. The problem that we have, especially when things don't go our way, is we get upset. We want God to do things, but we want to be able to suggest how he does them. The third thing, quickly, is we look at God through the personality and characteristics of others. Now, this is a really tough one. I, I have marked all over my page on this one. This is a tough one. Why? Because this is one of the generating factors of your life and mine. There are many that call themselves Christian, yet do not live Christian life. And the minute you ask them, they adamantly say, I'm a Christian. And then they'll say, don't judge me. I have the right the first indicator of an immature Christian. Where did Jesus put his rights? He nailed them to a tree. The same place that we are. Because the minute it becomes about our rights, it becomes about us and no longer about God. This is why Scripture tells us that we are to judge people by their fruits. 
Matthew 7, John 7, 1 Corinthians 5. I could have listened dozens of scriptures. Can I tell you something? This is what the world does. The world knows what a Christian is supposed to act like, even though they're not Christians. And when a Christian doesn't act the way that the world knows a Christian should act, you know what they do? Now they have just, they have just uh, put weight on the way they see God because of the hypocrisy that we give ourselves to. And folks, we're all guilty. I'm not preaching something because I have arrived. I'm preaching something because I live this. I go through this. I work through this. And what happens to the world, it makes believers unbelievable. When the Bible is clear that God's word never fails, yet man's word does fail, and man does fail, though it shouldn't. Yet what happens when it does is that's our opportunity to grow closer to God. What do you do? You say, God, forgive me. I repent, and then I show fruit of my repentance by going to that person I failed in front of and said, will you forgive me? What I did was wrong. This is what I should have done, but this is what I did. And you were right for calling me a hypocrite because I was wrong. See, the world knows what God's supposed to Folks, who is behind the world? Satan. And he knows God's word better than any of us. But what he does is he twists it just enough to keep God's people fooled. Just ask Adam and Eve. God's word never fails. But people do. And when this happens, we're not to condemn people. We're not to beat them up or put them down. We are to do what the book of Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says. Consider yourselves and realize that you're only a hair breath from falling as well. The main difficulty that we have in comparing God to or with others, is that we try to bring God into man's image. And the simple definition of that is one of the great religions of the modern hour called humanism. We forget that it is we who are supposed to be changed into his image. The next thing, quickly, is we see God through the example of our parents. Now that used to be a very viable way. But many, if not most, try to emulate God from a paradigm of parents and family who have not lived a godly life, who have not exemplified. It is a rare family that exemplifies the thing of God, even in the Christian world today. And it is hard to emulate a godly present when we don't have a godly past to base it on. So we go through life trying to build on the example of others without God. And we try to base our life on that. The frailty, the inconsistency. You say, well, Pastor, why is that? Because most of us don't want to admit our family might have had an ungodly past. I can't tell you 
how many pastor's kids aren't living for God? And in, it's not because necessarily the pastor or the pastor's wife, or if the role was reversed and it was the woman pastor and the, and the, uh, the uh, pastor's husband, because the woman was a pastor. Okay, pastors generally, okay, it's not, it's men and women. Okay, I want to make sure I get my words out clearly so that's not edited on tape somewhere. We don't like to think that we didn't do a good job. And the devil beats us with us, beats us with it. My wife and I have four kids. We were counting the other day. We got 14 grandkids. Sweetheart, you're getting old. Oh, okay. <clears throat> okay, excuse me. But the reality, I'm taking my coat off now. <laughs> the reality of it all is people have to make their own decisions. But as long as we give them a good basis, they'll always have something to run back to. Because what will happen is when they're doing wrong, the Spirit of God is checking them. And they know it's wrong. And it'll draw them to want to do right. Now they're going to have to do what we talked about in Romans. They're going to have to realize they're foolish when they're not giving glory to God. They're not giving thanks to God. The last thing that I want to point out here, and probably the worst, the worst is the way that we see God through the media. It's virtually never a godly person that is portrayed as anything more than passive or wimpy or money-grubbing person in the media, in a movie, in something like that. Hardly ever is a godly person conveyed as a godly person. I don't know about you, but I don't know in the regular movies that I've ever seen a Rambo Christian. I can't remember the last righteous Christian ever portrayed. It is generally swayed some other way, except in a new uh, movie uh, group that you might be watching called Pure Flix. They generally have it uh, constituted that way. You see, if we only see, as I come towards the end of this thing, if we only see God in a secular world view, we'll always be destined and driven to failure. Look at Romans 8, 7, and I put it on the screen purposely because I want you to see this. This is the new, uh, uh, the new Living Version. They have the New Living Translation. This is the New Living Version. Uh, several different translations out there. I, just, I like the way this worded. It said the same thing in all the different ones, but the wording was really good. The mind that thinks only of ways to please the sinful old self is fighting against God. When all the things that go right or wrong in the world now become about you, that puts you at odds against God. Because ultimately, what is the war? What is the war? God against Satan. Always has been, always will. Righteousness against ungodliness. It's never going to change until Jesus comes back. A perspective that we need if we're going to grow closer to God, one of the areas that 
I touch on all the time that we need to do is put God first and foremost in our life, or centermost, as I said earlier, in our life. We have to understand that God will not speed up to catch up with us. He will not speed up to our pace of living. God set a pace for your life. If you choose to outstretch it, God will say, fine, go for it. If you choose to drag behind it, God will say, fine, go for it. But God said, you can take my yoke upon you because it's easy, which means you're going to walk side by side with me, and it's going to be an easy road. I won't be out without problems. He said, you're going to still have burdens, but they're going to be light. Why? Because now somebody else is carrying with you. And this is what God wants us to understand, okay? And so he'll never catch up. He expects us to slow down to see him. Our contentment and security comes in knowing this, that he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. God is not a taskmaster requiring some unattainable reality in your life or mine. The Bible says he is a loving heavenly father who desires nothing more than to give you the best for your life. Luke chapter 12 verse 32. Do not fear my little children, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 1 John 5, 3 says, The love of God is to keep his commands, which are not burdensome. So here are some things that I wrote down. How do we get closer to God? Over the next few weeks in this series, I'm going to be teaching us how to get closer to God. Yes, in this, this perplexing time, in this uncertain time, you can get closer to God than you ever did. Can you imagine how close to God Job got? Or excuse, yeah, yeah uh, no, Job. Yeah, Job got in the in the uh, the belly of that whale. That wasn't Job. Jonah. Yeah, I knew it started with a J. Hey, folks, I'm a pastor, not a concordance. Okay. Do you imagine how close to God Jonah got in the belly of that whale? Folks, he had the first all-air-conditioned submarine ride known to mankind. And the first ejection seat. Okay, go ahead and figure that one out, if you will. But you can get close to God. Matter of fact, you can get closer to God than you ever imagined in the midst of this adversity. And I'm going to give you some very clear and very simple points. And the amazing thing, I was, I was listening to Heather and the worship team preach the last point of my sermon this morning. Just tells you, hey, God's in charge. You think the guy in the blue shirt's in charge? No, not happening. Number one, we need to build our Christian life. How? Prayer. Prayer? Come on, it's got to be. Nope. The very essence of your life is communication with God. If you ain't communicating, you ain't growing. You're not learning. You're not developing. Prayer is our lifeline to growth. The second thing, you say, well, okay, prayer, that kind of set me. Tell me something I could do to make it work. Number one, be honest in your prayers. Express 
your, uh, your feelings. Express your likes, your dislikes. Do not express any need that you don't feel. Don't just get up there and throw a bunch of words together. God already knows. He knows who you are, where you are, where you've been, what you've done, what you're doing. Just express this honestly to God. Don't hold anything back. Jeremiah 17, Hebrews 4, 139 Psalm. Once again, I can give you lots of scriptures that said God searches our hearts. He already knows what's there. All he wants you to do is give it to him. Luke, cast all of your care on me because I care for you, which is a, a reclamation of the book of Psalms. He wants you to know that he's there to take you, to meet you, to lift you, to help you. Number three, pray simple and direct. Elaborate and formal oratory is nothing more than offensive and hypocritical expression. The Bible talks about some folks that did exactly like that. They were called Pharisees. God said, be simple, be direct. You ought to follow me around in my prayer time sometime. You'll hear things come out of my mouth. You say, that was simple. I don't know how else to be with God. I just tell God, hey, God, I, you know, this happened today, and, and I sure the heck don't like it. Matter of fact, it ticks me off a little bit, God, that you let it happen. What's the deal? You can't pray like, well, I do. And you know what? It works because God loves the fact that who I really am, he really knows. Man, that was worth the whole morning right there. Be simple. Be direct. The fourth thing, be earnest. Pray earnestly. Now listen to me. Not necessarily loud or intense desire you don't have to become very flamboyant if you will though the bible says an effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much and the fact that the kingdom of heaven is taken by force there is no passivity once again when you're in prayer time it's very hard to be very clear and very earnest when you're very passive because it's almost like we're saying, well, God, I don't want to offend you, but I, you know, God, and I, you know, we kind of second guess God. And God says, no, nah, come on, throw it out there. And the four, fifth thing, and I've got six and seven in your notes, but we're going to uh, wrap it up here in just a second. You say, preacher, how many times did you say in closing? It really doesn't matter. We'll get there when we get there. Pray audibly. Pray audibly. You know what the Bible tells us? The confession of our faith. The confession. Our voice doesn't need to be heard in the streets. Okay, You don't have to be praying to where the whole city block hears you. Yet the fervency is easier with words than merely thoughts. 
You are literally confessing your needs to God. You need to speak to God. The last two things that I've put on this thing is don't mock God. I didn't put this on the screen because these are just some thoughts that I want you to look at. Prayer is not begging. You don't have to beg God. His desire is to answer. His desire is to... If you lack wisdom, James writes, ask. God wants to give. But don't expect God to do for us what he expects for us to do ourselves. And in your notes, I've got lots of scripture there for you to look at. You've got Psalm 63, Isaiah 65, 1 John 5, James 5, Matthew 11, lots of scripture. And then the last thing quickly is just pray always with reference to the day and the hour we live. When we started facing this dilemma, God spoke to me, Ephesians 5, about being circumspect. And I've shared this many times, and I've actually had a couple people in the church say, Pastor, if you say circumspect one more time, <laughs> I've got to speak what he speaks. I've got to say what he says. Pray specifically about this day and hour. Remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. The warfare to be raged, the temptations to be resisted, the work to be done, those are the things that God wants you to lift before Him. If you and I, and I put this on the screen, if you and I will put our life into our prayer, Prayer will produce the most real and exciting life that you've ever known. If you and I will put our life into our prayer, God's not looking for generic prayers. God's not looking for fluffy prayers. God's not looking for King James prayers. God is looking for real you prayers. And if you will put your life into your prayer, you will produce the most real and exciting life that you'll ever know. You know why? Because in that, you'll be growing closer to God. God already knows. He just wants you to give Him what He already knows. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and and I've got some little simple things that I want to share with you. But before I do, there's a movie that I've kind of become fond of. It's called, Fro uh, not Frosty. Uh, it's called Frozen, part two. And I'm watching this movie. And you know what I am seeing? I'm seeing my message in this movie. This little girl named Elsa. I encourage you all to go and watch it. Now, I'm the worst person to watch a movie with because I'm looking for God in everything. And when I see God, sometimes I will talk about it. And people will tell me in the movie theaters, shh. And that's their nice times. But this little girl is looking for 
who she is. She's looking for why she is, what she is, how she, she's looking for all of this. And at the end of the movie, she comes to a place to where she literally dies to what she was to become what she was meant to be. Now, listen to me. I'm not advocating all of the mystical stuff in the movie, but I'm advocating the picture. And the song she sings with all of this transpiring was a song says, show yourself. Show yourself. I have been waiting to meet you all of my life. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to meet you. Oh, you may be Christian, you may be saved, you may be lived, but do you know him the way he wants to know you? He wants to show himself to you. But you have to go looking for him. You have to go looking for him. And when you do, oh, your life will never be the same. Just ask your preacher here. When I found Jesus almost 40 years ago, it took me a few years to find him after I became a Christian. Because I still thought the first few years of my Christianity was still about me. No, no, no. I started to realize it's about him. And you know what happened when I realized it? I found him. Or should I say he found the real me. And he started bringing out the real me. I've got 12 things and I left them in your notes. And I'm just going to read through them quickly as we prepare to, to sing this song. Nothing else. <laughs> Nothing else matters. But let me share them with you. Twelve rules in getting closer to God. Building a simple, godly life. Number one, just live simple. Live a simple life. Number two, spend less than you earn. Too many people think, you know, that what they have makes them something. No, it just makes you more in debt. Or it makes you more without. Because once you have something, you want something else. Solomon said that. He said, I never held anything back that my eyes wanted. And when it was all done, he said, I realized the only thing that matters is God. Seek Him first. And obey his commandments that's everything think constructively cultivate a yielding disposition you don't always have to be right it's okay to do right in the midst of the wrong it's okay to not take the credit cultivate a yielding disposition be grateful number five Number six, oh, this is going to step on a toe or two. Control your moods. Control your emotions. That's just the way I am. Yeah, it's called the lust of the flesh. Control your moods. Seven, give generously. Eight, 
work with right motives don't always have some kind of caveat in their ulterior ideas and stuff. Well, if I do this, I'll get this. Just do it because it's the right thing to do. Nine. And this is really a hard one. When I wrote this down, I thought this is tough in today's society. Be interested. Genuinely genuinely interested in others. Live in today. The Bible says, get your eyes off of yesterday. Paul said, I forget what's behind. The Bible says that tomorrow's got enough evil of its own. Trust me today. And then something that I threw in there that I have a horrible time with. Get yourself a hobby. I listen to Bill and Dan talk about going fishing all the time. I can't remember the last time I threw a pole out there. I listen to pastors all the time that say, well, I golf all the time. I'm thinking, my goodness, when my wife and I started this church, we haven't picked up a golf club. Maybe we're doing it wrong, they're doing it right, maybe, I don't know. But get a hobby. And the last thing, if you want to get close to God, you've got to get close to God. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. And God, truly, if we want to get closer to you, we've got to pray. We've got to learn how to talk to you in genuine perspective, real. Because God, you already know us. You really know us. And for us to really know ourselves is we got to get real with you. Lord, whoever is listening today, I don't know where they're at. I don't know where their hearts are. But I know you cannot have a right head and a wrong heart. And you can't have a right heart and a wrong head. They both have to sync up together. And God, we got to get our head out of the world and keep our heart in you if we ever expect to get our head attached to our hearts. Father, touch everyone in the sound of my voice, everyone on the other end of those screens as I reach forth my hand. There is no distance in your hand, Lord. God, we pray for them. God, if their hearts aren't right with you, draw them. As you have been, draw them even more earnestly right now. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Your grace, which is your power at operation in our lives, that we could accomplish what you called us to. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, nothing else is going to matter. And nothing else will do but Jesus. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center. 
with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harden. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.